kids are excited to get back to school. I'm excited to get back in church. Um, but here's what we're going to do. Uh, one of my favorite uh, TV shows uh, like over the past few years was a show called The Office. And there's a really annoying guy on there called Andy. And he liked to make up songs to annoy everyone around him. Like he didn't intentionally annoy him. Like he was just naturally annoying as a person, right? And one time he was singing a song. They'd make it up and they, they made him stop singing the song. And he's like, well, I have to resolve it. I can't resolve it. And they're like, no, no, you're going to stop right now. And he goes, well, now I have a headache because I couldn't resolve it, right? And so we, before quarantine came along and we had to stop, we were in the middle of a series called Becoming Us, and it was on First and Second Corinthians, and I didn't get to resolve it, right? So we're going to jump back in. Is that okay with you guys? Can, can I do that? Yeah, we're going to jump back into the Becoming Us series, and we're in First Corinthians chapter 14. And uh, this weekend, we're going to come right back in to becoming us, and we're walking through Paul's letters to the Corinthian church. If you guys remember from the series before that Corinth, the city of Corinth, which is where these people live, the Corinthians, uh, it was an ancient trade city, and it had a reputation for immorality and diversity and corruption and just people coming from all over the place and just trying to figure out how they're going to live together and, and have this society with all these different opinions and all these different ways of thinking and everybody arguing and bickering with one another that sound familiar to any of us in here? Right? So this was the city of Corinth. This was the church that Paul was writing to, trying to get them to come alongside each other. And he wanted to help them become all that God has him or had for them to become. And we left off in quarantine with the really famous 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've ever been to a Christian wedding, You've probably heard 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a chapter on love. And our big idea was that love was, number one, a spiritual gift. If you read where, what Paul's talking about, like chapters and verses, that came along l- later. This was a letter that he wrote to someone. Have you ever written a letter to someone? You didn't write, you know, here's my letter. Dear Johnny chapter 1, verse 1. Like, you don't do that. Like, you just write the letter out, right? You write the whole thing out, and that's what Paul did to them. And so, in the context or the the section of this letter that Paul's talking about, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and he talks about, in the very middle of it, he talks about love. So, love is a spiritual gift. And, And secondly, it's the most important of the spiritual gifts that Paul, uh, and uh, among the, the gifts that Paul uh, is listing there. You can go back and check these messages out on the website. They're all there. I'm not going to re-preach chapter 13. But this week we're going to move into chapter 14 where Paul talks about tongues and prophecy. Those two gifts, tongues and prophecy. And within the American church, in the church that we grew up in and all that stuff, as things are uh, going a lot in our country right now, there seems to be polarized responses when we talk about spiritual gifts, particularly tongues. And both sides of this dichotomy, both sides of this polar opposite, actually have the same error in thought. And this is the error in thought. They think that the gifts of the Spirit that they don't understand are weird. The gifts of the Spirit are are, are weird. One side's response is to ignore it. So if, if I don't understand it and I can't get my mind wrapped around it and it's not something that's natural to me, then I'm just going to ignore it and pretend it's not there. While the other side of it says, you know what, this is weird. Let's just see how weird we can get with it, right? And so they just keep pushing, 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 and they just get weirder and weirder and weirder. And then finally, it's like, what are you guys doing? 
And this is kind of what happens when Paul is addressing the, the, the Corinthians in chapter 14. What we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are not weird. They are an essential part of our Christian life and an essential part of Christian transformation. I grew up myself in this kind of polarized nature of what the gifts of the Spirit were. I was saved as a young child in a Southern Baptist church, and, and it's difficult to really like say that every Southern Baptist thinks this way, because that's not true. Every per, I mean, you would say like every American must think the same, right? No, we don't, right? So you can't really say that this is how everybody was. But in, in a lot of the churches that I, I was grew up in and I, and I saw, they believed in what's called cessationalism. And what that means is that the gifts of the Spirit ceased uh, to exist in the church with the apostles. When the apostles died away and the church was established and the gifts of the Spirit ceased and they use 1 Corinthians 13 we mentioned this last time uh, as justification where it says 13 verse 8 through 10 love never ends as for prophecies they will pass away as for tongues they will cease as for knowledge it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when perfect comes the partial will pass away when perfect comes what is that is it Jesus' resurrection? No, obviously not, because when he was writing this, Jesus had already been resurrected. So he's saying, hey, it's going to pass away. You won't need these anymore, but here, let me teach you about these things. Why would he teach them about something they no longer needed? So it wasn't Jesus' resurrection or Jesus being here that was perfect. Uh, it Was it the establishment of the church? No, it can't be that either, because have you found yet, I mean, I've been looking, have you found a perfect church? Have you found perfect people? Have you found perfect Christians? No, that's not it either. So obviously, perfect has not come yet. I believe that what he was talking about was the return of Christ. When Christ comes back, therefore the gifts of the Spirit, as, he, as he's mentioning, are very much still active today. But even if we can't get our mind wrapped around these gifts, and we still, we, we, we still must believe that they're being active where that they're here we can't just be like yep that's weird i don't understand that don't like that i'm going to ignore that that's an extreme but again the other extreme of this woohoo uh, the church is too rigid let's get crazy let's get weird that's not really the right thing either we actually see how this is the how the corinthians were operating i heard it um taught in charismatic circles in the past and in, in churches that i grew up in too that uh that your mind is actually the enemy that your mind is the enemy and that if you try to understand something or you try to apply, you study something, apply theology to something, get your mind wrapped around it, put some kind of structure to it, then that's a wrong way. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually teaches that our minds need to be renewed. Do not conform by the, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans uh, 12, 2. And then he says in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, which we're going to get to way later, is we demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so our minds are very important in how we worship God. We can't just say that it, it's not going to make sense. It's never going to make sense. And we're just going to, we're just going to turn our minds off to operate in the spirit. That's not how it works. What does Jesus say worship should look like? In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, and you shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your what? Your mind. 
Worship the Lord with all your mind and love and your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, we're not to suspend our minds and avoid reason. Instead, we submit our minds and our thought patterns to God, to Jesus, and, and we love him with all the power that our minds can possess. And as with most things, the biblical truth that you'll find here in the scriptures today is with those kind of polarizing opinions, the truth is in the middle. One thing that we, you, you can't do is you can't elevate your experiences above Scripture. Or you can't even put them on the same level as Scripture. There's, there's denominations that, that ignore tongues and they say that it's no longer here. And they believe in what's called sola scriptura. That means that, that, that there's only Scripture that will ever speak to us. God doesn't speak to us like that anymore. But I don't believe that's true because why would Paul be talking about how the Spirit can speak to us and work through us and, and do these things? No, what, what we believe is, is we believe in something called prima scriptura, which means that the Bible is the primary source that God speaks to us. And therefore, all of our experiences and things we go through and the patterns and everything that happens is, is shown to us in Scripture. The Bible shows us God's character, God's pattern, God's ways, the, everything that he promises, promises us. And he says he'll be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, the manifestations of God's presence should be consistent with how we see him shown in Scripture. We can't say, well, my experience says that this, this is how this is and it contradicts with what the Bible says. No, we subject our experiences to what the Bible says, but still knowing that God wants to give us new experiences. Isn't that cool? God wants to give you new experiences in him. He wants to give you a new word. He wants to give you a fresh anointing. He wants to give you a new way of living. He wants to change your heart and speak to you directly. He wants to do these things, but it won't contradict what's in the book. Therefore, you wanna, we want all that God has for us. We want the fullness of life in every gift. We want everything. We want to we experience God in all that he is. And so to do that, what you and I need to do is we need to devour this book. We can't expect God to speak to us in fresh and new ways if we don't study how he's already spoken to us. We have to see what God says about this and what God is, is, is how he's responded to people and how he's done things. And by doing that, he'll speak to us through fresh and new ways. He'll continue to speak to our hearts. And so today we see about how God, our God, is a God of structure and order. Um, he provides gifts of the Spirit which are necessary and part of life. And, and But what I want to shake us out of today, you and I out of today, is that this weird idea of that the Holy Spirit is just weird. No, it's not weird. He's meant to direct your life, to speak to your life, to empower you to be all that God has created you to be. There's a pastor named Francis Chan. He wrote a book about the Holy Spirit and it was called Forgotten God. Great read, highly recommend it. Go out and buy it, Amazon it, whatever you gotta do. He says this, Christ said it would be better for us, you and I, that this Holy Spirit came. And I want to live like I know that's true. I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly. I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly. So let's get into chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts 
especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. First and foremost, he says, pursue love. Gifts aren't meant to make you feel spiritually superior. They're intended for you to be a vessel in which the Holy Spirit works through you to serve other people, to serve the church, to serve the lost, to serve other people. And so it's not meant to be like, oh, look what I can do. It's all about serving other people. So first and foremost, we pursue love. Secondly, it says that we should earnestly desire gifts. We should, we should study them. We should pray that God gives them to us, that we can operate in them. We should be open to receive them. Open yourself up for whatever the Spirit wants to do in you. We have to do that. And then he says, especially that you may prophesy, especially prophecy. Why Prophecy. Well, he's going to get in that to a little bit. But what we can start with is what is prophecy? You and I can look at what is prophecy. So many Christians today think that prophecy is, is uh, foretelling. So it's like, um, you know, this time next week, there's going to be a monsoon and it's going to get really cold. Like that's what we think prophecy is. It's like this whole like foretelling the future and all that stuff. But really what he's talking about and what we, what we see prophecy in scripture many times is forthtelling. What that means is I'm going to take the word of God, the truth of God, the mysteries of God, and I'm going to declare them into a situation. I'm going to say, you know what? I know you feel lonely. I know you feel broken, but Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. The son of God, the creator of the universe came to this world to die for you because you matter. That is a prophetic word. That's a prophetic word. How many of you guys have ever been talking to someone and you're like, man, I don't know why I feel like I need to say this to you. But all of a sudden, like, God drops a scripture in your mind that you read, like, three days ago. And you don't even know why you read it. You don't even know why you remember it. But you share that with your friend. Or you're like, man, I just know that I, I want to be here for you and I care about you because God loves you. You know, the, both of those are prophetic words. And get, the Spirit can use us in that way to speak prophecy. And so that's, that's uh, the, we, we, we want to prophesy. We want to do those things. It's not complicated. It's not weird. It's very simple in how the Spirit directs our words. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. What is tongues? Just as prophecy can be broken down into foretelling and foretelling. Tongues also has two biblical aspects to it. In first uh, mention of the church, uh, tongues was earthly languages that were not known by the speaker of the language in the natural. So if you have your Bibles in Acts chapter 2, what happened was is that Jews from all over the Roman Empire returned to Jerusalem for this festival. And, and many of them spoke different languages from their home. And Jesus had instructed his disciples to wait and to pray in Jerusalem and saying that he would send the Holy Spirit to give them power. And, and then he says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 4 uh, through 6. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit after they were praying and they were gathered. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, gave them the words, gave them the power to speak it. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound of the multitude, and at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak 
in his own language. By the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, believers spoke in tongues so the message of the gospel could be understood by people who spoke a completely different language. When you find tongues in the Bible, you will frequently see the gift of interpreting right right along with it. At Pentecost, that interpretation wasn't really necessary because God's intent was to deliver the gospel message in the native tongue of the people that heard it. So the people that heard it, they were the interpreters because they, that's the language that they spoke. So there's the, the natural language. The other side of, of tongues and what we hear a lot of times is this, uh, you'll hear it in scripture as groanings or utterances. You may have heard the term prayer language. This idea is, is that there will be situations that you face in life that are beyond your understanding, that you don't understand how to pray. You don't understand how to get through it. You don't understand what's happening. But the Spirit gives us this prayer tool in which He intercedes for us on our behalf. Even when you don't know how to pray or what to pray, you can still pray. Romans chapter 8, verse two, uh, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That is a good thing. How many of you have ever found yourself in a place where you're like, God, I don't know what to do right now? I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. I can't figure this out in the natural. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know. I, I, I can't even put words to the hurt or the challenge that's in front of me right now. I can't put words to it. The Bible says that the Spirit will come alongside you and help you. And even in your groaning and in your utterances and in, in your, your, your just wherever your heart is right there, you just open yourself up and the Spirit will intercede on your behalf. Verse uh, 2 through 5 in 1 Corinthians. For one who speaks in tongues speaks not to man but to God, for no one understands him, but, but he utters mysteries in the, uh, in the Spirit. On, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for the upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So is Paul anti-tongues here? Is he saying that you shouldn't speak in tongues? No, this is what he says in the next verse. Now, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. In reality, what Paul is talking about here is not simply tongues and prophecy. Tongues and prophecy are simply how the issue that he's addressing was manifesting. The issue that he's addressing is that when we gather... When we come together, when I come alongside, when we come to church on a Sunday morning, when we come to church in our, in our groups, when we meet with each other for coffee or for, for dinner or for lunch, when we do these things, when we gather, we do so for the benefit of other people and not simply ourselves. Billy Graham popularized the term a personal relationship with God. And yes, while it's very important and, and, and God loves you deeply and wants you to know him deeply, we also, when we're saved, we're called into a family. This is not just about you and God now. This is about you and God and everybody else in the room. We're all a part of this. We've come alongside and God has invited us into his family. Paul talks about how we're a body of believers that comes together when one of us hurts, when our pinky toe hurts, the whole body hurts. 
When you got that little splinter in your finger, right, that you can hear your heartbeat. Have you guys ever had that? You know, you get the splinter in your finger. You're like, I can feel my heartbeat in the splinter in my finger. I was actually uh, playing golf a couple uh, days ago in 115 degree heat. Don't recommend that. But it was doing it, right? And like I literally could feel my heartbeat like in my neck. I was so hot, right? Just how your body like just one part of you is hurting. And so the other part of you, I don't know, is that a heat stroke? Sorry, Vanessa, did I, did I have a heat stroke just then? Uh, anyway, so <laughs> Vanessa's like, that's not good. Uh, so my medical assistant back there. Um, so, but what happens is, is you have a part of your body that's hurting, right? And so Paul talks about how when one of us is hurting, we all hurt. When one of us is struggling, we all struggle. When one of us is successful, when one of us is celebrating, we all celebrate. And what happens, what can happen is that we get selfish and we just make it about me and, 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 and we just make it about what feels good in my spiritual experience, what feels good to me. But Paul's really addressing, he's saying, guys, focus on what's good for everybody. Focus on what builds up everybody. Yes, it's important that you have time with God, that you pray and you pray in the spirit and that you pray in tongues. You do these things. But what's important when we come together as a body, do it in such a way that builds each other up. Tongues is good for us personally, but he wants you to prophesy to build each other up. In verse 19, he says this, Nevertheless, the church, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Verse 6. Now, brothers... If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will it benefit you unless uh, I bring some revelation or knowledge or, or teaching? Uh, let's get down to verse 10 because he gives a couple of examples there in the, the verses between. There are doubtless many uh, different languages in the world. None of them is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, we want the manifestations of the Spirit. We pray and we long for the manifestations of the Spirit. That's a good thing. Strive to excel in building up the church. May our actions, may our words, may our deeds build up each other in the faith in a way that we can better worship God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and with all our mind. Now, I want to look at verse 22 in its context because I've actually heard this taught to ignore the point that Paul was actually talking about in the, the main. This is what verse 22 says. He says, thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for believers but for believers. Remember I told you in writing a letter, he's not just like one sentence, you can pull it out and say, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22, it says this. And then because of this says this, I'm not going to, I'm going to ignore the context of everything that he's talking about. And this says this, so I'm going to go with it. We got to look at what he's saying in context to understand what he's saying that here. If we pull this verse out of context, it kind of seems to contradict what the rest of the chapter is saying. But let's look at it in context. He says this, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. This is verse 20. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. So as far as evil goes, don't, you, don't, should, you shouldn't know anything about that, right? Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak 
this, uh, to this people, to his people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. What is verse 21 talking about? What he's doing here is he's quoting Isaiah. And the strange tongues that he's referring to is the tongues of the Assyrian conquerors that were in the streets of Jerusalem at the time. They were in the streets and, and as people, as God's people would walk out and they would hear the languages being spoke in the streets. It was the Assyrian language and Paul and, and God was saying, this is my judgment on you. He was trying, he was saying that God is trying to speak to his people through a strange tongue of invaders, but they won't listen. So it's with this backdrop that Paul says that tongues are not a sign to believe or not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. There's there's revelation there, but they're not going to understand it. But then he flips it and says that prophecy is a sign for the unbelievers, but not for the believers. When an unbeliever hears the word of God declare, it's the it's the response is for that word to come alive in them. And they realize that God is really among the believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they transition from unbelief to belief. And so when prophecy is heard, it's no longer for the unbeliever because the unbeliever becomes a believer. You see that? You see how that works? And so that's what he's saying there in verse 22. Aaron's going to come on up, uh, back up. Aaron, let's do um, the bridge of Song of My Soul. All right. Um, and let's, let's wrap up with verse 23 through 25. If therefore... The whole church comes together and we all speak in tongues and an outsider or believer enters. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever enters or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Tongues and prophecy. Private life, public life. In all of your life, God wants to use your words to bring glory to Him and to see the people who are far from Him come to know Him. God wants to control your words. He wants to lead you so that your words bring glory in honor to him. And so the question today is this, is what parts of our speech does God not have control over? Are we willing to say, God, I'm going to submit everything to you. I want to, I want to speak the words that you want me to speak. I want to pray the words you want me to pray. I want to, I want to declare the words that you want me to declare. If it's in a, a, a language that I understand, great. If it's not, then great. But I want to declare these things to you, God, because I want, I want to see my words be used by your spirit to change the atmosphere of the rooms and the situations that I find myself in. But there's parts of our speech that God does not have control over. I know of my own life. There's parts of my speech. Sometimes a word is said. Sometimes a thought is uttered. Sometimes a negative thing comes out of my mouth that, 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 that's not of the Spirit. And so we have to submit our words to God and be led by God so that we can see our words change the world. James chapter 3 verse 10 says this, from out of the same mouth 
come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. This could be vulgar language, or it could be simply as grumbling, complaining, slander, just negativity flowing from your mouth. So my prayer for you today is to let the Holy Spirit direct your words so that you may declare the mysteries 